What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Haley Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. Welcome to another edition of Barton and Bud, second edition this week. Keeping it rolling in a quarantine, the pandemic. Uh, I am Barton Simmons. He is Bud Elliott. Uh, we're going to do mailbag once again today. Kind of roll through a few more of these questions uh, because why the hell not? Uh, Bud, you ready, 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 ready to get going? I am, man. Over 350 iTunes reviews. Got, got all those five stars rolling in, as is appropriate, because we're a 24-7 sports podcast. And uh, let's go ahead and kick it off here with uh, Guillaume752. Uh, you guys have touched on the 24-7 composite first 24-7 internal recruit ratings in the past. I was wondering if Barton could give an example of a guy he feels vindicated for rating highly uh, that the rest of the industry missed out on, and conversely, a guy he undervalued that maybe the industry was high on, and you cannot use the TCU safety we discussed in the prior episode because that would just be too recent. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't rank the TCU safety high enough. Uh, he was still a three-star, so um, my bad. Oh, no, the other kid, uh, Trevon Moore, we had him as a 92. Oh, Trevon Moore, yeah, that yeah. one, yes. Yeah, you're right. We did have that one right. Um, this is like the the ones that we've we've gotten right I don't know. Like there's, there's a lot of them and I, I, that don't, that's not meant as a brag. I'm just saying like, there's a lot of them. Um, there's a lot we've, we've gotten wrong too, but just in this most recent draft, a few that jump out to me, one, like most people had Henry Ruggs, like outside the top 150 or so. Uh, and we had him as our number one wide receiver in the country. And he went number one among the wide receivers in the draft that, that, uh, you know, some people might like look from the outside and be like, well, you know, congratulations, like anyone can get lucky with that one. But like that felt really good because we that was a really bold move at the time we did it. And in that same class, it was actually a pretty bold move to go to a as a five star quarterback um, because he wasn't, you know, he's six foot and change kind of, you know, wasn't at that point. It was a little still fairly uh, unusual to have a, a relatively undersized quarterback ranked that high. Uh, and and that was one that that I really pushed for. Those two were, were guys I really pushed for. And so that those guys went where they did was absolutely vindicating. Two more, they're a little more kind of less mainstream. I had Dalton Keene, the Virginia Tech tight end, as a four-star when no one else really did, I don't think. Uh, that He fits all of these sort of analytics in this profile that I, I view as the tight, at the tight end position with the way, he, you know, the way he tests the different positions he played. He played quarterback in high school, all kinds of stuff. So uh, that, that one felt good to get him drafted because that was definitely a shot. And then the, the one that was the biggest, just pure, just like, not a guess, but just a sh- definitely like a projection shot kid is, is Lecky Fotu out of Utah, who was a rugby kid 
who just played football for the first time his senior year. I, I put him, I think, in our top 100, and he ended up getting drafted like fifth round or something. Um, every, I think Rivals may have had him as a two-star. Maybe ESPN had him as a three. So that, that, was, um, that was definitely one that felt good to hit uh, in this draft. As far as the, the opposite, guys who rank low, that's actually interesting. Like that, that's the, probably the harder one in terms of everyone. Like We get absolutely blasted on message boards, on Twitter, wherever, when we drop a guy that has a lot of offers and that has is ranked high everywhere else, that we've had ranked high before. Like that's, that is when, you're, when you have to go like upstream like that and drop someone, that's that that takes a lot of criticism and so uh those are sometimes the harder ones to do and you can kind of go through and yet when we do that because it's maybe like uh, you know you have to sort of fight your instinct a little bit to do it uh they're typically right and so if you go to like the 24 7 sports composite top 247 and you look at where you know going down that list you can see where alongside their top 247 composite ranking you can see where they're rated by us on 24-7 Sports, sort of in the, the little box below uh, the composite ranking. And if there's no ranking, that means they're outside of our top 247. And, and you can see if they're like you know 200 spots below or whatever. And I was just looking at that in prep for this question just to, just to try to remember some of the guys that I ranked low. And typically we were right. Like if we're going against the grain and ranking guys a lot lower than everyone else, we've been pretty accurate on those and just a couple that come to mind like kareem walker who signed with michigan out of high school we just didn't get it didn't like him he was had offers from everybody he was a take for a lot of schools but he had a really weird lower body like didn't ran really high didn't look like a super instinctive runner wasn't like overly productive he was a three-star for us and goes to michigan transfers out goes juco nice i think he's i think he's at mississippi state but he's not going to be an NFL guy. And that was one that we took a lot of, a lot of heat for at the time, but um, we were, we ultimately were right. Another one that just, and again, there's a bunch of these I could go through, but another one that I just thought sort of jumped out to me when I was going through the list was uh, Zach Gentry out of New Mexico. He was a quarterback that was committed to even Texas at one point, I think. And I remember catching some flack from the Texas board about Zach Gentry being rated too low at quarterback. And I remember being like, you know what, like he's just, he's big with a strong arm, but I don't even, I'd be surprised if he even stayed at quarterback. I think he's probably, he may even be a tight end. And then, and like, sure enough, he, he doesn't even stick with, with Texas. He, goes, he commits to Michigan or decommits, goes to Michigan. He eventually switches to tight end, has a pretty decent career tight end, gets drafted late. So we ended up having him ranked much more properly than everyone else. And, and kind of the instinct of him being a tight end was 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 ultimately right there. I, I think that, that's that's a pretty interesting list. And like, if you're anything like me, that the ones we miss on, they bother you more than the ones you celebrate that you got right. You know what I mean? Because you go back and you're like, like, why why did why did we do this? Right? Like, like was our process bad, or it's just was the result just bad? Uh, next question here comes from five o three. Uh, so my question is that uh, the more national perception of the Ducks versus the Trojans from a national sense. Obviously, the Trojans have more history going far back, uh, but since 09, the 09 season, the Trojans are 95 and 49, and the Ducks are 110 and 35, with four Rose Bowl wins to the Tro Trojans' one. Uh, 
obviously the history has a lot to do with this, but if the trend continues for the next decade or two, uh, is there ever a time where Oregon could be uh, be able to overtake USC as the Pac-12 historical power? Uh, what would it take? Obviously a natty or two, but if conferences are still the same, would this ever be a possibility? I, I think it's a possibility if these things keep happening. Sure. I mean, he says another decade or two. Oregon has been a better team than USC now for the last decade. Really, I mean, not... I don't think all, all that arguable and 15 more wins over the course of a decade is, is, uh, is, is, is pretty obvious. If they continue this for another decade or two, like let's think about what teams right now we, we really consider uh, highly who we probably didn't consider as better than other teams in 1990. Cause that that's 30 years ago, you know, like in, in 1990, did we think of Oregon as a better program than Washington? Here's an Oregon example. No, Washington won the national title in what ninety or ninety one. That whatever year it was, uh, they split it with Miami. Um, I think that's certainly possible if they can do that. Now, here's the thing: that's easier said than done. It's not like USC is going to move. They're they're, they're not going to become, you know, the University of New Mexico or something like that. They're they're going to stay in SoCal, and there will probably always be pretty good football played in SoCal at the high school level. And so their access to talent is not is not going away. And if you're Oregon, you do have to go above and beyond what USC has done historically. Like you, your your recency has got to be that much better than what USC has done historically. I think for your program to be considered just an absolute better program than the Trojans. I mean, I'm just like I'm thinking, um, you know, Clemson. Clem, obviously, the current makeup of the ACC, I guess, is a little bit different than it used to be. But, I mean, Florida State – I mean, Clemson has over has, – because Clemson overtaken Florida State as the, as the traditional power in the ACC. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I mean I – think, I think they have, right? And if we think back take, to 90, like Florida State wasn't even in the, in the ACC in 90. I don't yeah. think they joined until 92. Yeah. But, and yeah, for sure. So – you know, Clemson. Like Clemson has continued to be this this team that you sort of prop up as. Oh, if Clemson did it, certainly you know who else can do it. Um, and so I'm trying to think where else. Like obviously Oklahoma's traditional power, um, Ohio State's traditional power. Alabama. Like there's a lot of blue bloods that are winning right now. Spoiler alert: Oregon could win every Pac-12 title for the next decade, and there's still going to be some mystique to USC. It's just, there's just too much history there. It's just, and, and too much college football pageantry there to, to draw on. Um, but I think Oregon is already in a position to, you know, with a couple of, a couple more good seasons to be considered sort of the team in the Pac 12. Um, but I don't, if you're, if you're Oregon, frankly, especially considering you're in the North. And USC is in the South. Like you should hope USC rises back up. You should hope USC gets all the national juice it can, because as USC goes, so goes the the conference. And that's no slight to Oregon, but you you need that sort of national perception through USC. You need that foil to be able to be in the Pac-12 championship game. Like you need uh, you, you, you need that sort of competitive level in the conference to continue to, to sort of help everyone out, help you out as well. So uh, it's, uh, 
a lot a lot of Oregon interests on the pod last few weeks, but it it feels like there's maybe it's because everyone sort of senses how close Oregon could be with Mario Cristobal. They they are close. I I think both you know this year and and also they're probably pretty well set up for the future with how they're recruiting, especially relative to the rest of that league right now. No doubt. Yeah. Uh, Calvin Marks. Awesome podcast. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Calvin. If you were a five-star recruit and had your pick at any Division I football program, what would be your top three schools and why? We're going to get in trouble on this one, man. <laughs> like they're, they're, they're going to clip this audio forever. And, and uh, I, what, what are my goals? Like, Am I one of these recruits? Who no, is- this is, this is, no, your goals are what your goals would be. Just, okay. just as Bud Elliott... Let's just let's just assume, let's just posture that Bud Elliott has the ability to be a five-star recruit. You're right. same same family, same background, same upbringing. You just got a, a an HGH injection or two uh, heading into your sophomore year of high school, and uh, you know maybe maybe the mailman was was a little bit more athletic than you know. I like it. All right, so if I'm a five star, I don't I don't give a damn about academics. All right, just straight up. But no, 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 no. Hold on, you're already off the like. But you, I know you. You went to law school for goodness sake. Yeah, like you give a damn about academics. So look, if this is just gonna be a a, a, a like hypothetical of like what Joe five star would should do or or how you think they would think like. Then I, let's hear that. But I'm also curious in what if you do? Bud was a five star. Got it. Okay. So you can, you can answer both. But no, I, 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 I like I like this both. though. Um, so if I do care about academics, which I I clearly do, um, I and I'm still me. I just, I'm just bigger. I'm probably playing offensive tackle still. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, Stanford is is clearly high on my list. I get to live in California. And I, I get to live on somebody else's dime, which means I don't, I don't have to pay for the living expense of California, which is nice. It's great weather out there. The academics are incredible. Also, they develop that position very well and, and seem to put guys into the league there. There's a lot of you know, program stability there. That, that's something that, that would have, have a lot of interest for me. Um, I, I think as somebody who like appreciates towns that are greater than just college towns right now, I, I think I would like Texas now more than I would as a recruit. Like, Not that Austin's a bad college town, but Austin's kind of a cool town outside of being a college town as well. So I, I think Texas would be on there. Obviously, I'm a Florida State alum. That'd be pretty cool to be a five-star at Florida State. Uh, LSU, I visited there a lot because my wife you know, went there. Uh, and I think Athens is an awesome college town as well, and that'd be a really cool program to play for. Uh, it's a little Southeast heavy. Weather is playing, in my, is playing a large factor in my decision. That's something that would still hold true for me. I don't really want to go play anywhere that it's cold. Um, so some mixture of academics, program prestige, uh, scenery, weather, all those kind of things. So that, that would matter. Okay. Uh, all right. So what, So when I was in high school, my teammate, he was a year below me, but we were, I was pretty good friends with him um, and, and went on a couple of visits with him, was a guy named Ingle Martin, who was – I don't know that oh, there yeah. was really rankings back then, but he, he was like an elite – he, he went to the Elite 11 – he was a he would have been a four star top probably a top one hundred kind of guy, and so he had offers from pretty much everyone. He ended up going to Florida, uh, where Steve Spurrier recruited him as a quarterback, and he had but 
but he had all these offers. And I remember being like, if I was you, this is where I would go. And I, and my, my, I still think this would be my first choice. I, I told him then, and I would probably say even today, LSU, because like, there's just, I think death Valley is probably second to none atmosphere. The there's, there's a, I, you know, I love Louisiana. I love that state. Uh, it's just a fun state to get to. You obviously know you're going to be playing for national titles. You know, you're going to be playing in, you know, on the biggest stage. And I just think it's a, I, I just think it's a cool environment down there. Uh, <clears throat> so if I'm honest with myself, based on what, what I was telling a guy that did have all the options back then, then LSU would probably have to be on the list. You know, when I was coming out, I was not smart enough to get into Yale on my own. And I had other opportunities to go to other places, but I chose Yale because why not go somewhere you would never be able to get into otherwise get that degree. So I'm with you, but probably a top three choice would have to be Stanford for me as well. Um, you just, I think, you know, to me, my whole thought process, and I think I would feel the same way if I was a five-star too, is just get something out of this that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get. Um, and, and so that would, the Stanford education, Stanford degree is probably pretty good. My third one, I would go, so I'm tempted, there's a lot of directions I go. I, I do think back to what I, in high school, I was a big Michigan fan. You know, uh, breaking news here on the Barton and Buzz show. Look at this, <laughs> Charles Woodson. You know, that was in the Charles Woodson era a little bit. Um, I had there's a few schools I liked. I like Florida State. I like Miami, Kentucky, Michigan. Um, but I think there would have been a temptation to go to Michigan. Probably uh, that's another good academic school. It's you know they at that point certainly, and I, I guess I shouldn't talk about back then. I should talk about now. But still, I think Michigan is is kind of a, a revered program both on and off the field uh so i like the idea there and just probably one bonus one i I think that probably if i'm smart and i i think about it like in the right way like there's some appeal to wisconsin too a i've never been to madison but it's supposed to be awesome and they have great atmospheres there those you know they play great defense there they're always well coached like that seems like an environment that as a former safety uh, who enjoys going out on Saturday nights after the games, uh, there might've been a few things that, that clicked for me up there. I, I, I could see how, how that might click for you up there for sure. I, we have some commonalities as far as what we're going for. Um, additionally, we don't really have to do like the, what if you're a five star and your mind is only set on one thing. We could just basically just like visit, uh, Jacob Eason's 24 seven page and, and see where, where he visited. Right? We, we can just, we'll, we'll refer you uh, to that. That's right. Yeah. All right. So, uh, okay. Boogman says uh, two of my favorite podcasters team up for this super show. Appreciate that. Boog. Uh, Noel nation needs to know what are the odds we can get back among the nation's elite uh, with the football facility in the works uh, and what could be, what could be an elite staff. Is it crazy to think within five years we can contend again? Thanks uh, and love the show. Go Knowles. All right, you 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 lead the way on this one, uh, Bud. So he, boots on yeah. the ground there. He, he left us a, a pretty reasonable timetable, right? If he was like within two years, can can if she get back and contend? That the answer is just a clear no. I I think there are some teams though when when you have a new head coach hire, 
that unless you're coming off sanctions or, or something really weird, you know, kind of like Penn State was when, when James Franklin took over, to me, there's always a certain group of teams who can contend with a new coach hire w- within a reasonable period after that hire if they can recruit well enough. I, I think five years is a reasonable timetable to figure out what, what a new coach is within this era. I, I think they, they probably can. I, I like the quarterback they're getting in, in Altmaier. Um, they're a little bit higher as a staff on some of their pieces than you know we are as a network. But at the same time, pretty much every staff we talk to is higher on their guys than we have. And everybody's like, hey, I got 18 kids. You guys should give a small bump to, and maybe these two we think are a little overrated. I'm like, yeah, no, maybe, maybe not uh, not quite that much. But I, I think that you know Norvell has, has done some good things. He took over a program that was already on the rise from Justin Fuente in Memphis. But, and my friend Bill Connolly had this graphic on Twitter the other day. Memphis like, continued to become a better team uh, each and every year that Norvell was there. So uh, he obviously had a, had a misstep last week with, with his comments that, that Marvin Wilson uh, called him out for. But unlike maybe some of the other programs, it seems like that might have been smoothed over uh, uh, you know, w- within a relatively quick fashion and maybe spun as a positive. I don't know if I believe it's a true positive. Uh, but I, I think he, he could get them back in, in contention within five years. And, and so I'm going to say yes because of Norvell's track record, the program's track record, and, and, and the five-year uh, qualifier here. Is, is the Norvell misstep? It wasn't, a, it wasn't a bad fake punt call. It wasn't, a, it wasn't even like a, any sort of, I don't know, it was just sort of like a bad, bad, bad judgment move, bad, like misspoke. But it certainly blew up. Like, does that does does that affect your confidence? In because I think you're like me. Thought it was a good hire. Um, does it at all sort of shake your confidence in him? Just in terms of what you initially thought of him. I, I think it has to reduce your confidence ever so slightly because it, it reduces his margin for error to misspeak in the future. Right. I mean, sure. if he does yep. this again then obviously I, I don't think people will give him, give him the benefit of the doubt. It, in reading his statement, I, internally I kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt, and externally I didn't really have any time to comment on this in that, that morning anyway because you know, we had a lot of meetings that day and I had some other stuff going on. But I figured what he said you know, as far as his follow-up and Wilson's follow-up, but we're going to be with it, what they were going to say. The one saving grace is probably that his misspeaking was not actually about he didn't say anything that he had to walk back about, you know, racial injustice, right? His misspeaking or his, his misspoke was the extent to which he talked to his team, right? He exaggerated. He said, I, I spoke with each and every player when, in fact, he texted each and every player but did not have a one-on-one conversation with each and every player like his quote uh, to The Athletic implied. Uh that probably matters context-wise a little bit. I think if you misspoke about something that was actually, you know what I mean, then that would be a whole other ball game. But I, I think he'll he'll probably do fairly well there. I I, I just feel like the roster. We talked about this maybe before on this pod. I feel like we talked about it in some setting before, but I do think the roster has some level of like competency, and and I think there's a there's a match, and maybe I'm also just thinking through like what his recruiting class has already brought in. I think there's a match in terms of some of the personnel and some of the ways he can be successful. And I do think that 
he, I think he is such a detail oriented coach that they're going to get it fixed. Does that mean they're contending for what? I don't know. National titles. I don't know what contend means, but I think that they can be sort of well on their way within, I, I would, I don't even, I'm not, I'm going to, I'll say less than five years. I think within the next two or three years, I think Florida State is, has regained the confidence of the fan base in, in a pretty clear, decisive way. The detail oriented thing really came through as well in our 24 seven sports social distance interview we did with him. Like he was very like prepared and, and I, I think FSU fans probably appreciate having somebody who is that detail oriented during the quarantine, um, you know, as opposed to somebody who's more lax and, and maybe not as organized as, as Norvell is. I think roster wise, I'm expecting them to be pretty good on defense this year. I, I think coaching continuity, as far as like all the coaches on the staff trying to run the same system, will, will be a big uh, big help to them. And Norvell's offense traditionally has done a good job of creating explosive plays. Uh, He's going to have to do that there. Uh, they will allow a lot of negative plays, I think, and, and a lot of you know blown-up plays because they, they, they might have the worst two offensive tackles for the third consecutive year in the ACC, right? So there's going to be some bad plays mixed in with that. I think Norvell has to find a way to create enough explosive scoring plays uh, and, and basically try to, try to win games, you know, be explosion and good defense, which is not a terrible recipe, but it's probably the only recipe they can really follow. They're, they're not going to be able to just line up and grind people. All right, so let's take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side with more of your mailbag questions. All right, welcome back. Uh, more questions ahead. Uh, this one from I'm Taft. As college football continues to evolve from downhill running to the spread offense, will we see the complete circle back to downhill running to have a leg up on opposing teams? Also, if this does happen, will we see a difference in players recruiting? Also, the NFL has become more accepting of dual-threat quarterbacks because of the success of college. Does this mean if college goes back to downhill running, will the NFL make the same adjustments? Huh. I actually are, I, I texted Josh Pate about this the other morning because it's something he said on, on his late kick uh, show, which y'all should watch on YouTube. And I, I can't wholly dismiss this idea that, that eventually we, we could go back to Smash Mouth. But there has to be a reason to go back. And to me, the only two reasons would be a rule change that makes passing uh, more difficult, right? Or, or to dissuade teams from passing. I, I don't know what, what that rule change would be. Maybe roll back some of the illegal contact and, you know, pass interference stuff that I, I think is frankly, you know, kind of unfair to defenses. Uh, or if we reek, or excuse me, if we reach like peak passing efficiency to where like clearly we've topped out passing efficiency wise and it starts to to you know to, to kind of slide back and, and defense figure it out now I know there's a lot of narrative out there hey everybody's recruiting five six seven defensive backs and you know everybody's running base not you know base dime base nickel all that stuff and there's some truth to that however Barton passing games keep getting better every year in spite of the fact that defense is now for about a half, half decade, have been specifically designed to stop them. Like, there's really no evidence that teams are getting better defending these passing attacks. In fact, it's going exactly the opposite way. And until we reach a point to where, like, passing becomes less efficient, no. It, it, and honestly, man, like, the downside to passing is not there anymore. It used to be, like, what's that old coaching phrase, right? Remember this? Like, there's three things that can happen in a pass play, and two of them are bad. 
you know, the, the interception or the sack or, you know, whatever it was. That's not there anymore, man. You got guys like Tua against FBS competition throwing 33 touchdowns and three picks. Like teams are not turning the football over anymore like 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 they were. Like the, the turnover numbers and, and the pick numbers are way down. They're, they're finding the open guys. They're finding them quickly. They're, they're keeping the same level of explosion. It's not just dink and duck. I mean, they're aggressively pushing the ball down the field without the negative externality of turnovers that you would think would come with extra passing. And in previous generations, like when you and I were growing up, these teams that checked all around, they just weren't that efficient. Now these passing attacks are so efficient and passing the football is so much more rewarding, even when you factor in the potential negatives, than running the ball is now for the most part, that I I don't see teams going totally back to some sort of you know multiple tight end downhill running game as a base offense. Now, I think we have a like a spinoff conversation here as well. If the big teams are running these sort of underdog strategies that like the Texas Techs and the Kentuckys with how Mummy and them were running years ago or, or similar, the advantage for the small teams is now gone. So maybe it won't be like, you know, Tennessee decides they, they want to get in three tight ends and, and, and pound the rocket people. Maybe it's going back to some triple option type concepts or something for these lower level teams who now no longer are running something that is all that unique. But I, man, until passing is just so much more efficient than running now. And there's almost no penalty for it. Yeah, I I agree. I think though, like we're seeing, like Jeremy Pruitt is an example of a coach that I think is is very aware of what's going on around him, very aware of the rise of the spread and and, and whatever, and yet is because that's getting so popular. It feels like to me, Jeremy Pruitt is even more determined to just ride it out, make sure that he maintains this uh, physicality pro style in the sort of traditional sense elements to his offenses. And there's a few schools out there that, that are still trying to cling to that. Um, There's, you know, I think a really interesting case study to me too is is Rice. Uh, Mike Bloomgren leaves Stanford. Stanford starts to digress into a, a regress into a more pass friendly, pass happy offense. Uh, lose a little bit of his run game edge. Mike Bloomgren takes a job at Rice that was a spread team and and starts to throw the three tight ends out on the field stuff. Uh, whatever, 20, you know, 13 personnel and sort of try to pound teams. And again, kind of, it's going to take time to sort of ride it out. And then all of a sudden, like, that's the, that's the system. Like you're talking about the underdogs where they, they might have a, an advantage because teams aren't used to defending it. So at some point there's just going to be that imbalance to where, yeah, they, they play spread so much that they're just, it's just like playing when you play in the triple option, like, it's a challenge to prepare for it. I think the so much of football is trickle up from high school to college to college to NFL, and at least it's been like that. I think some of the NFL elements that could be factored down are or trickle down are the 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 different ways that players can touch the football. Um, like you know, Mike Leach is always talking about you know balance isn't run versus pass. Balance is 
you know, five guys touching the ball instead of one guy touching the ball. Uh, and so when I just look at, you know, Kansas city and San Francisco and you see sort of the different ways they get the ball in their playmakers hands, like to me, that's the continued now sort of ramp up of the spread is, is, is how you, how you involve your playmakers. And, and I do wonder if an element of that can, will continue to like, you know, the 49ers are real heavy with some fullback stuff and like having an H back and having tight ends on the field. And, uh, and I wonder if that stuff trickles down a little bit to, to the college game. Uh, I mean, it's, it's still a physical game. It's always going to be por- like important to, to have a physical element to it. But I, I think your points are, 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 are interesting in that it's not really slowing down in terms of the advantages of, of selling out for the pass game. I, I think your points about the NFL are are really interesting, and I I think if college teams had to deal with some of the rules of the NFL and also the athleticism on defense of the NFL, they would probably run. You know, I think they would run the ball a little bit more, right? We we don't really see NFL teams, you know, who are seventy five twenty five pass run for the most part, and and because that I don't think using the entire field is quite the advantage in the NFL that it is in college because the space clo- closes a little more quickly, right? The pass rushers are that much better. And importantly, there are so many freebies in today's college game because of the ability to go three yards down the field legally as a blocker. And I mean, in, in that's, that's the rule. And in practice, five yards down the field sometimes as, as a blocker to where if you're a backer, I mean, you stand flat footed, you're, you're, you're playing, you know, what, six yards depth. And all of a sudden the guy's up in your grill and then you're throwing the ball over your head. Like it, you played safety that you're wrong. Almost whatever you do there. And then uh, it was really interesting. I was talking to a, co- uh, a college linebackers coach not too long ago who was um, talking about how like the linebacker position has been so deprioritized, I guess um, in the sense of like, they're just kind of there. Like they're, they're just sort of, you just sort of have to put someone at linebacker to occupy some space but ultimately the game is being played on the perimeter for those guys like they've got it like they're a quarterback's just reading them like either they're going to step forward they're going to throw behind them or or they're going to step forward and they're going to throw to the perimeter or you know throw the bubble or they're going to you know carry a vertical and they're going to hand the ball off like all, all he is is an indicator for offenses and so you know until there's some sort of rule changes that sort of gives the defense a little bit of a chance. Yeah. I mean, there's sort of, I even bother trying to do something different when you have such an advantage right now from an offensive standpoint. But I thought that was really interesting here. Like the idea that like basically a linebacker right now in this game is just, is just sort of not super consequential. And, and beyond that, and and I heard from a different coach, like the same thing on the other side of the ball in the sense of like the offense, like, you know what? offensive line it doesn't really matter if our offensive line is that good we'll be okay like there's so many ways like Clemson was an example he gave me it was like their offensive line is never that like what look at them on film their offensive line is that good and I'm not an offensive line guru to the point where I've studied Clemson's offensive line a lot I just know every offensive line guru out there keeps on talking about how Clemson's offensive line is that good and they're the best offense in the country every year and so it, it is really interesting to me that it's going in that direction to where like the middle of the field, that box, the tackle box where it used to be like where games are won and lost. 
is is almost just this sort of placeholder territory where uh, you know it just determines where you go with the football, less so determines whether the the the, the play is a winner or a loss. I, I think it makes it makes a lot of sense. Hey, we said it last week, right? Vanderbilt run the option. If if, <laughs> if you don't get Will Healy, go go get yourself a triple option coach because you're probably not going to you know I formation your way to bowl games there at Vandy. Uh, so all right, let, sorry, let's let's skip the let's go to this this next. Uh, I'm looking at the spreadsheet. So in a related question here, so yep. Andrew Dozer's up next. He says, "I thought that the playoff draft was a good idea. Wouldn't mind a conference championship draft." Uh, maybe not a bad idea. We'll, we'll, we'll look into that in the future. Mailbag question. As offense has become more passing and open space oriented, what does the next evolution of the defense side of the ball look like? Could we see an explosion and plays and play designs? And uh, I just lost my place. And uh, we see an explosion in plays designed to disguise plays like the others. Do we have a rise and do it all? Isaiah Simmons types seems to be, one of the few people enjoy defensive masterpiece with less scorings. I'm so I'm curious to see if coaches find another way to shut down offenses. What do you think? Um, again, sort of just an extension of the conversation we just had, but the the big term these days is like positionless players on defense. Like, you know, you're going to need your line of scrimmage guys, but you know, uh, a, a, a a safety that is effectively you know plays as like a mic in the defense is 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 more important than ever like a a guy that can be i mean a tyron matthew who it's coming out of high school as a cornerback but but you know basically now is a can be like an overhang or a safety or a corner or a nickel or whatever you want to call him like i just think finding a lot of guys that can do a lot of things the gary patterson like gary patterson does better job of this than anybody he's just he just recruits athletes and then he just Puts them in the you know puts them on the field with a chance to be successful. I, I do think that that's kind of the direction the game's going. Yeah. So if you had asked me this question like two or three or two three years ago, I would have probably referred you to you know John Heacock and and those guys at Iowa State who really have created the defense that uh, a lot of defense coordinators now are either adopting in whole or in part to to, to play a lot of these spread teams to to combat a lot of the RPO stuff. Uh, but now that that's Fairly standard. I mean, hell, we saw Clemson partially out of necessity last year because they did lose so many good defensive linemen off that 2018 team. But partially also, I think Brent Venables, who's a native Big 12 guy, uh, saw it and, and, and thought it'd be a good idea to run it. And they had a very good defense last year with, with clearly uh, a downgrade in personnel along their defensive front compared to the prior year. Uh, that, that would have been my answer if you asked me this two, three years ago. I think Barton's point about positionless players is really important as well because a lot of these offenses now, they're just kind of trying to like find the duck, right? And you keep going at the same guy who you know can't play. And and offenses have become very good at isolating certain guys who just can't cover in space. Like that's kind of the name of the game. If you find a guy who can't cover, you just keep going at that weakness until the defense has changed, until the defense changes what, what it is doing. Um, defenses who have an ability to hide those guys or you know, obviously, talent-wise, who don't have as many of those guys are going to have an advantage. We have seen, I, I think, man-to-man defense uh, is something that has become much more important over the last four or five years because not that it, it's a, a like the way to stop the, the RPO game, but it does offer some advantages in terms of stopping the, the RPO game because like if you're, if you're reading your guy, you're not really, you know, 
you are harder to read. You know what I mean? Um, but not every team can play man-to-man, so a lot of them are playing this Iowa State stuff. I also wonder, are we going to get to a point to where if offenses are just reading these defenses so much, if the defenses are going to almost start doing things that uh, structurally do not make sense in order to try and just confuse the offense, right? Like like just you know, ha- having a backer buzz to a place where he would never buzz to. And even if it like, might leave somebody wide open underneath, it might be wide open in a way that the offense doesn't necessarily anticipate being there. And so if some of these quarterbacks are so programmed, okay, I'm just reading this. If he does this, I do this. If he does this, I do that. But what if he does option C, right? Something that the quarterback's not uh, not looking for at all. I, I wonder if if teams are willing to do that. But then, of course, you have the potential negative trade-off of just, just how wide open might that leave somebody if you're going to do something that is structurally unsound. But I will note that, that Bob Stoops, maybe a decade ago, would run some zone blitzes that were very structurally unsound. And the gamble was, A, they were weird enough that the, that the offense was not going to recognize what they were doing fast enough before the blitz could get there, right? Like, like if the offense did pick it up, Oklahoma was cooked. But they would do this a couple times a game, and oftentimes they'd get big-time plays on it uh, by, by doing so. Yeah, no, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see where the game goes for sure. Let's see where uh where are we at? All right, so it seems more often than not, if Miami is after a transfer and or grad transfer, they are able to land them. What do you guys think are the main reasons for this? Lack of roster depth, lack of overall roster talent, climate, campus, lifestyle. What you got, bud? All of these are, are probably uh, yeah. probably really good ones. I mean, I'm not going to just read the guy's question back to him. I, I think those are all really good answers. I, I would also say, like Manny Diaz has shown that he will take and play transfers. Transfers should come into the roster and, and get a fair shake, you know, w- when they come in. Uh, and I also think that Diaz has has done a good job of presenting transfers with the the uh, division that Miami is pretty close, and they might really just be a transfer or two at certain positions away. And you know, I. I I'm kind of high on Miami this year relative to, to you know some others. I, I think defensively they're going to be nasty, and offensively they, they picked up you know an off-to-tackle transfer in, in Jared Williams, I, I think I saw, and they also got the uh, the quarterback from Houston, Derek King, I, I, who hasn't had, hasn't had a whole lot of time w- w- with the team, but I think he's familiar with what they're going to run mostly. Um, so I, I think all the reasons he lists, plus the, the willingness to play transfers and, and the, the track record with transfers, uh, makes Miami a pretty attractive option. Yeah. Uh, I mean, transfers are they've typically come of age. They're adults. They um, probably understand the appeal of going down to South Florida. Good weather. Manny Diaz is, is shown, an, a, you know, kind of, a, I think, a willingness to um, – think big picture in terms of like what what are the different off the field things that we can present to you here as well uh i don't know yeah it's they're they're rebuilding right now um yeah i think it all it all makes sense i think uh it it is kind of interesting though like every time uh, sort of a big name transfer pops up miami's in the mix of them i wonder how long it's going to be they got to if they have a good season maybe they'll they'll start to to convert some of that effort into the recruiting trail from the high school side of things Absolutely. Well, I'd see if they can keep it locked down this year. 
All right, this has been uh, Barton and Bud. Really appreciate y'all hanging up, hanging with us this week for a bonus episode. Keep those five star reviews coming on Apple Podcasts. We're also available on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play uh, Podcast, pretty much wherever you get a podcast. We're on it. We appreciate y'all making us uh, this as successful as it's already been, and we'll talk to you again next week.